Well, you know, I have to tell you, I always come up here with a little bit of trepidation after Lindsay gives announcements, because I just go, man, I love that. Who else? You would be a little offended if I was doing that, but anyway. Nolan. Anyway. Oh, you know, it's really cool, this Pulse event. We got a lot of great things going on, but this Pulse event, this next Friday, there's an actual prayer event where they're bringing together anybody from any of the churches at New Hope, and I'll actually be praying at that event. So I'd love for you to be a part of that. I believe it's 7 p.m., but um, I, I think you could call here and we can maybe give you some idea exactly when it is. But is this this Friday? Um, I know that much, and I know I'm going to be there. Okay. Um, you know, we're into this new series, and I've just titled it, You're Invited. And uh, as I wanted to begin, I wanted to look at this whole idea of what it means to be invited and, and what is this all about. And so uh, I was looking at passage of scripture, and it's the passage of scripture where Jesus pulls an all-nighter. And I was really familiar with all-nighters as a kid in college. I went to my college my freshman year. I was so afraid I was going to funk out. I wasn't sure how I even got in there, to be honest. And uh, and so I remember that freshman year, they had these orientation kind of messages. They'd speak to you, and for about an hour into it, they were telling you, you know, here are things you got to pay attention to because you don't want to be one of the casualties that fall out, et cetera, and then other good things. And it was lunchtime, and I go to the lunch table, and I sit down next to about, there's about seven or eight kids, but specifically in the group I was talking to, it was about five to six kids, and, and they start giving their names, and they're talking, and at some point, someone said, hey, I'm a, I, I, somehow it came up, the person was a merit scholar, and, and then the other person said, they're a merit scholar, and out of the six of us, four of them were merit scholars. And I, I was thinking to myself, I don't even know what a merit scholar is, <laughs> but I'm worried right now. Because if they're all that, whatever that is. So I spent my, my first year pulling all-nighters. My, I just knew that I had to do that. And so before every major exam, I would be up all night, fortified by a strong cup of coffee. From, remember those Mr. Coffee machines? Grab that coffee cup. Or if it was a term paper, I'd be up all night writing that term paper. Not even so much that I didn't try and write it along the way. It's just that I was so nervous that I wanted to make sure I got a grade that would keep me in school. So I find it interesting when I come to the Gospels and you see a couple times where Jesus pulls all-nighters, but specifically he pulls an all-nighter in one very important occasion when he is inviting some people into an inner circle. And there's all kinds of things we can take and talk about at this inner circle, but one of the things it was to be throughout every generation, it was to be an invitational community of people. And so as we look at this scripture, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read this, because Jesus pulls this all nighter, and I want us just to read this together. So stand together, and we'll read from Luke chapter 6, verse 12, and let's read these words. Now, during those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would take these words and help us to have an understanding of what it means to live an invitational life, what it means to be a church that is an inviting community, that through these weeks, God, we might learn what it means to be more like Jesus, because we are all about Jesus here. We desire that Jesus be glorified. We desire that Jesus um, fill our hearts and our life, and that through this, God, people will know this Jesus who has invited us into this life. So we thank you in Christ's name. We pray, amen. Thanks, you may be seated. <clears throat> you know, Jesus pulled this all-nighter all because 
this was probably one of the most important things he was going to do. You ever wonder why he stayed up all night praying? It was because the invites he was handing out had eternal implications. Not for the lives of just those that he was calling in, but primarily for the community that he was going to put together that would become a community that was invitational in its essence and who it was to be. And so he was pulling an all-nighter and he was praying and saying, God, who are the people that you want to be a part of this so that every community thereafter would become invitational in nature? And so my hope is that as we go through this series, it'll force us to ask some questions. Are we an invitational community? What does that look like? It forces us to ask some questions. What am I doing as a person who is living an invitational life? And what is this inviting them into? And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, and I think as you look at this passage of Scripture and take its context, you can find a number of lessons in it. And the very first thing I just want to share with you is your invite. So you you have been given an invite. Jesus invites all of us. Your invite comes with an open invitation to others. Do you know that it's not like when you, you know, when you get one of those invites and and you feel really like, oh man, we were invited to this? Maybe it's a wedding, maybe it's some kind of celebration or some party. But what if you were given an invite that said you're invited to this and you got really excited about it and you can bring as many as you want? That's what Jesus was doing. See, your invite, my invite, is an invite that comes with an open invitation that it's not just for you, but it's for anyone else that you kind of rub shoulders with, come in contact with and say, hey, why don't you come along? And walk with us. So in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 13, we find that Jesus goes out into the mountain. He goes there one evening and he remained in prayer throughout the whole night. And then in the morning, he called together a large group of his followers. So already, we know he sent out 70 at one time. We know that there was in the upper room 120. There could have been two, three hundred maybe at this point even. And he calls them together and he says, there's a few of you, there's 12 of you, which has some symbolic significance due to the 12 tribes, but there's 12 of you who are going to be apostles. And the word apostle is an interesting word. It means sent out. I'm going to send out some of you specifically, but we know he didn't just send out 12 because if you read through the gospels, he actually sends out 70. And if you continue to read into the book of Acts, he sends out you and me, all of us. But he chose these to be apostles. And he invites them, because as he pulls this all-nighter before his father, he says, Father, who are the 12 that I can build this on? And then who are those 12 that can invite others, who will then invite others, and who will invite others, who will invite others, who will continue to invite others, who will become a community of people that are invitational in their lifestyle? So this step was really critical. It was essential to the mission of Jesus. It is very important that we focus on the death of Christ. But Jesus came not just to die for our sins. The reason he died for our sins was that we might know his father and that we would establish little invitational communities throughout the world and throughout history whose purpose would be to invite others into the same kind of relationship that Jesus enjoyed with his father so that others could enjoy that relationship. If you listen to the final prayer of Jesus, it's very interesting. In chapter 17, verses 25 and 26, the very last two lines of his prayer are significant. Whenever anybody gives you their last words before they die, they're significant. But their prayers, I think, are even more significant. And so he ends it and he says, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, 
There's a lot of people around us who have stereotypes and images of God. They've been brought into their life through either some kind of religious training they've had or they've had some kind of understanding that they've read about or they have seen watching someone else who claims to be a follower of Jesus. Though the world does not know you. There's people who don't know you. I know you. And they know you that you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. So that's the relationship I want these people to have. And here's what we're inviting these people into. We're inviting people into this primarily. Make it really clear. It's not into a religion, it's not into a church, it's into a relationship where they know the Father and they know his love, and, and this love is such that it's so, um, is modeled by who Jesus is, it's all about who Jesus is, that when this love comes in their life, and Jesus comes in their life, Jesus begins to be formed in them. And so he says, that the love you have for me may be in me, and that I myself, that same kind of love, may be in them. And then listen to what it says in Jesus' prayer. Just a few verses before that, in verse 20. He, he has you in mind. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. For you who have been invited in. Because you were in Jesus' prayer. Think about it. Long ago when he was praying, you were in his prayer. And he's praying that not only you would experience the Father's love, but that you would also invite others into that love. And the way you invite others into that love is not necessarily just even a message. It's how you live your life and how you love people around you. And we live in an age, I think, we're really afraid to talk about our faith. We live in an age where it's very important that we actually live out our faith. I really believe that's true. But what is interesting is in this time, there are still also occasions where people will be open to your faith and to what you have to say about it if you're living it out and if you're not forcing it on them in some negative way. Ed Stetzer is a researcher and author who is constantly taking the pulse of the American church as well as the church throughout the world. And he writes, welcoming people into the local church should be the natural overflow of a local church's faithful ministry. However, many people are afraid to invite others to church. He knows that through polls. He's taken it by research. And he goes on, according to our research, inviting a friend, a coworker, or a neighbor, you may not realize it, is still effective. In an article in Christianity Today, Stetzer points out that LifeWay Research conducted a survey of some 15,000 adults trying to determine some kinds of approaches that people might be open to hearing about faith. And this is what his research showed. He showed that the best Received means of seeing people walk into a church is a personal invitation. He, 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 statistics tell us 67% of Americans say a personal invitation from a family member would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. 63%, so just four percentage points lower, of Americans say a personal invitation from a friend or neighbor would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. Folks, that's 6 out of 10 and on the low side. So people, he writes, are open to an invite from church, to particularly, particularly if it's from someone they know. What I want you to understand, though, is I'm not talking about that the invite 
primarily should be into a church because that's not necessarily what you see in scripture. What I see Jesus doing is he's inviting people. Here's your invite. Your invite is with an open invitation to invite others. That's part of what comes with your invite. But your invite is also simply an invitation that asks you to ask someone personally to join you as you get to know this love that you have found in Jesus. That's not a big, you know, it's not you got, you know, come to church. See, the church is a community where people come together where they begin to celebrate God and his love and in this church community they learn how to live this love out together. It's really no different. When you ask people to join you in your journey as you follow Jesus, think about it this way. Join me in my journey as I follow Jesus. How many people have difficulty inviting someone to go with you to something that you really enjoy or that you think is good for you? Okay, how many people work out or exercise here? Uh, maybe I shouldn't do that. Okay. Uh, imagine this. I, I hear people say, you know, you should go to this health club. They got this great person, instructor who does this, and, and, it, and, and I've been gaining so much physically in my own. And they invite people all the time to a certain kind of discipline that, that helps them become physically more fit. I think what Jesus is saying when we talk about people having open invitations to us is, is it's not necessary. The church is one place, but there are Bible studies. There are all kinds of places. Imagine in your mind, how about grabbing dinner with me and some friends of mine? And those friends just happen to be people who love Jesus. See, so you're just inviting them into your life with you. Or, or imagine joining me and a couple of my friends as we help repair a home of a person who's in, in need, what, like our hammer of hope ministry or something like that. Why don't you just come with me? You like to do good things for people. You're pretty handy with a hammer or a paintbrush or whatever it would be. That, that's kind of the idea that is getting trust here. Or, or how about joining me with a group of guys who meet um, during the lunch hour for prayer? Or how about joining with me with some other ladies we meet in the morning and we just we go through the Bible? Because what you're saying is, I found it this one. I found something that's really been helpful for my spiritual life and maybe it would be helpful for yours. All you're doing is inviting them to join you in your life as you follow this Jesus. Because Jesus lived intentionally. Hey, Nicodemus, how about lunch? I was at a, a wedding that I did just a week ago. And it was a young couple who, uh, the guy has been in a group that I lead on Tuesday mornings, came into the group about four years ago because some other guy invited him into the group. The guy was not connected to church, wasn't at that point in any way growing in his faith. I wasn't even sure where he was at spiritually, but the guy was invited by another guy in our group who said, why don't you just come and come to this Bible study? I, you know, I know you... You, you were interested possibly in, in spiritual things, and, and he just shared with them how much it has meant to his own personal life. To be in a place where he got to know God's word better, and he had friends around him praying for him, and so the guy came. And I did his wedding just about a week ago. And I asked these couples often to write out um, why they love one another. You know, kind of what's your reasons. And, and I asked them to write it like if, if they're saying it to that person, but not to share it with the other person. So I had the opportunity at one point in the message to read one of these words, which she wrote to him. I love how much your faith means to you. I love how important fellowship with the men in your men's group are to you. You always say the best days were Tuesdays because it started off your day in prayer and worship with the guys. 
You lead our life together in faith with a strong foundation, knowing that as long as we put God first, we will always be okay. And I, when I got those and I read those, I just was so moved in my heart. Because some guy in a group just said, join me. Well, what happened later was a couple years into it, I asked these guys to come to our house and to bring their girlfriends or whatever with them. And we had uh, a, a barbecue at our house and and these girls came, and as they were sitting around meeting and talking to some of the wives of some of the other guys had come, one of the girls, the girl who was in this wedding, said to someone else, and a couple of them said to each other, why can't we have a group like this? Don't make an invitational lifestyle something that seems like if I just can't, if I don't get them to church, then I failed. If I can't get them to, you know, sign the dotted line, you know what? Just invite the person that's walking with you into something that's meaningful to you as you are in a relationship with God that has, that, that relationship that you're inviting into helps them take maybe another step. Your invite, catch this, is into a community. I, I want to stress that. It's into a circle of friendships where faith can be formed and can grow. Jesus invited people into a community. If you look at those first ones, he wasn't saying come to a church service. Join me as I follow and in, in, in see what my father is doing. Be a part of that with me. And here's a whole group of people he was inviting along with him. He was inviting people into a community, a circle of friends. Jesus wasn't inviting them into religion. He's not into religion and neither are, are we. I'll speak for myself. Neither am I. The whole thing of our faith is growing in our love and having that love begin to fill us so that that love can overflow into first those who we're closest to. If it's not happening in our family, we've got a problem. If it's not happening with the friends that are closest to us, we have a problem. If it's not starting to go out in these concentric circles. It's this kind of life where you have this love that's going out like this and what happens is it develops a community, a circle of friends around you and those circle of friends around you are the ones that help support you as you grow in your faith. And Jesus was basically inviting people in and saying, hey, I got some really, I'm, I'm developing some really good friends here. The church should be a place. We should be a place. I spoke this two weeks ago. We should be a place where we have differences of opinion and we can learn to agree to disagree in civil ways. We have to be a community that is unlike the world that we see out there. We need to learn how to love and forgive and to speak with understanding and kindness. And, and when we actually feel like we've hurt someone and offended someone, we take the effort to go forward and say, I offended you, would you please forgive me? Even if you feel like your offense wasn't something that you meant. That kind of community that is invitational and saying, come into this community and learn how to love as God is teaching us how to love is countercultural. People aren't finding it anywhere. Missiologists, these people who are, these are people, this word missiologist is just a fancy word for people who study the mission of the church in our current culture. And, uh, one, one person who has done some research says, in our post-Christian nation, so, He's making a statement right here. He's not saying we're a Christian nation anymore. In our post-Christian nation, people who are skeptical of faith are often attracted to the Christian community before they are attracted to the Christian message. Did you catch that? 
Therefore, introducing people into the relational network of a local church community becomes an important aspect of their journey to faith. It doesn't start with them agreeing to the message. It starts with them feeling like they belong. And as they begin to belong, they begin to understand how people are living their life. And they begin to understand, wow, I, I see how in this trial and this difficulty, you're handling this because of your faith that you have. I want that faith. I see in your life how you're becoming more authentic and real and, and open about the, the difficulty in your life. Maybe I can take my mask off. This author says, as being created in the image of God, we need to be in relationship with others. We reflect God, who is Trinitarian, means he's three in one. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect fellowship, a really good community of people, three of them. And this necessitates, this necessitates our innate need for community. One of the primary means God uses to pursue those who are lost, who don't know him, is the local Community of people who are intent on following Jesus. And he also says genuine community is countercultural in our world where people are more connected than any previous generation, yet lonelier than ever before. Social media may allow us to keep up with one another, but invitations to join genuine communities, relational circles of true friendship, is possible only when people are truly connecting to one another. Don't mistake, he says, information with intimacy. We cannot mistake communication for community. Virtual relationships are incomplete. To put it another way, genuine community is not truly experienced apart from actual relationships together in physical time and space. Which, as we even have live streaming and things like that, and it's so easy, oh, I picked up the church, and it's all about the message. It isn't. It's about community. And I also know community gets broken down into smaller segments, and people need to be invited into that. Your invite is a part of a process. So if it is open-ended in the sense that you can invite others in, and it's also you're inviting them to join you as you begin to explore and know the love of the Father and experience that, and as you move into that place, you begin to realize it's also inviting people not into some kind of religion, but you're, you're inviting them into a community, circles of friendships. Then you begin to understand the invitational lifestyle, this way that we're, we're, we're talking about in these weeks to come. It's all about a process. It's not all of a sudden like one invitation and, it's, you know, and you're done. What you learn from the prayer of Jesus is that he invites these people and they were all a part of a process. Jesus was intentionally living out a process. He began with prayer and he invited at one point um, Peter and John and, and a bunch to follow him. And then at another point he went up on the, and he pulled the all-nighter and he prayed. And, he, and from that group he chose others to take steps. They were always taking steps and every step, isn't it interesting, how often the steps came by invitation. Jesus merely invited others to take one step closer. And you can see it if you look back at Luke chapter 5. Just before this chapter, in chapter 6, you see the call of Peter. He invites him. In chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, you see another call to Levi. And then we come to this passage where he calls him to take a step further. I was reading about some of these things, and there's a man, his name is Les Yoder, and he was writing in in an article called The Importance of the Invite. He writes how spiritual growth came as a series of invites for him. And he was just reflecting how important the invitation was in his own growth and development. He says, in my life, I was invited over and over again. At the age of 11, I was asked to give a seven-minute talk to a small group at our church. And when I was a teenager, someone from church asked me to serve as a greeter. 
See, these kind of little steps in. And at the age of 19, I was asked to lead a committee that would plan services. And during college, I was invited to lead a small group and to teach a class. And as a businessman in the past 16 years, I've been invited to serve as a leader of two different churches. Being, this I think is interesting, being an introvert, I rarely volunteered for things. But I would accept invitations to join a group or serve in some capacity. Looking back on my life, I see the important lesson. If you want to grow in your faith and your gifting, you need to say yes to opportunities offered to you, to the invite. And all this has caused me to think and ask another question. Where are the people around me who, just like me, are waiting to be invited in? Who are the people prepared by God to enter into what he has prepared for them? Am I willing to prayerfully open my heart and look for someone who may be an introvert like me waiting to be asked. And his last line in this article is, I wouldn't be where I am if it weren't for the invitation of others. I want you to think about this. Your invite is really just merely one step along the process possibly of someone's life. And you may be a link in the chain and you may step out of it and you may have no other process in it. You're you're denied invitation. You ever think about, you you know, how hard it is to, you know, to be denied when you invite and you feel kind of like, oh, did I blow it? Did I? Do you know that your denied invitation may be one of the most important things that's happened to a person in their life? I've heard people who have told me, yeah, I remember a number of years ago, a guy invited me, I never came, but then at a certain point in his life, that person stepped forward. You see, even a denied, even any failure, what we might look at might be in God's eyes a win later down the road. And then the last thing I want to just, well, Second to last, I'll give you two more. Your invite may hold the key to someone's future. What I find interesting in this prayer of Jesus is that he was holding open to them, um, like with a key through this invite, a future that they could have never have experienced without his invitation. Uh, I I was reading um, this article, and it says, Across from one of the campus residences, one of the finest colleges in our country stands a mysterious building known as Scroll and Key. This great stone-clad mausoleum was the site of one of Yale's university's renowned secret societies. And to become a member of Skull and Key or Skull and Bones or other circles like them was an unusual distinction. The person writing this was a person who was a part of this. And he says, each society accepts only about 15 college seniors at a time and they accepted them only, they accepted only the cream of the university's leadership. The captains of sports teams, the presidents of major organizations, the most luminous artists, the intellectuals on campus. Those were the people invited into these societies. Twice weekly, members, he said, of these societies would slip inside one of these mausoleums under the cover of darkness. And they would enter a lavishly furnished space of historic rooms and enjoy a range of rare dining, education, and relationship-building experiences. If you are on the campus, you were kind of hoping that at some point you might be a part of this elite group. If you were a member, you would form friendships, he says, of deep intimacy and commitment. You'd take part in presentations and briefings that expanded your heart and enriched your mind. You would sit at table with a cadre of alumni that included U.S. presidents, cabinet officers, captains of industry across the planet. The mentoring you would receive during your time there and the network and opportunities you'd enjoy ever afterwards could be life-altering. But as he writes... As one of these members, he says, being a member brought one more privilege, maybe the greatest of all. 
It was you who got to choose the next individuals to be tapped. You were among the ones who got to discern the persons to whom would be extended this extraordinary experience. You were the key holder to someone else's future by your invite. And he said that was the thing that most thrilled him. And I was thinking as I read that, I thought, gosh, you just think of the the potential that um, maybe Andrew didn't even know when he saw Jesus and he ran and he said, Peter, you got to know this guy, Jesus. He had no idea the key that he, through that invite, was opening for the life of Peter from that point on. I think of this, uh, the, Jesus saying to Peter and to these disciples, I am inviting you in. At one point says to Peter, Peter, I'm not just going to, you know, you have a destiny far greater than just fishing for fish. You will be fishing for men someday. And, and then at one point in Peter's life, he stands up before 3,000 and he holds the key for 3,000 people whose lives are changed eternally because he invited them at a certain point to understand this love that Jesus had for them. So I ask you to think about it this way. Do you see yourself as a key holder? Throw all the other stuff, just throw all it away. You've been given an invite. Do you see yourself in the invite that you have in your hand, that God has placed in your hand, as you might be a key holder to someone around you and their destiny? What's interesting is, as you read this passage, and the last thing I'm going to share with you is your invite becomes most effective. And here's what's really important. That's why I said this message, pray first. Your invite is what Jesus did. He got on his knees and he prayed and he said, God, who is it of these people around me that I'm supposed to invite? Who do I hold the key for in this specific way? And I just ask you to consider that and think about it. As we come into this whole series about what it means to be an invitational community, what it means for you to be an inviter who holds the key to someone's potential future. Don't start without first saying, God, I challenge you to talk about it with one another and say, am I praying about it? Am I even looking for it? Is there someone around me, God, that it doesn't have to be some big leap to maybe coming to church. Maybe it's just inviting them to go with me or be with me. What is it that you're asking me to do, God, as I hold the key to someone else's future? I've asked um, in closing if Jody Bucchino, so we had Jamie earlier and I've asked Jody to come. And, and I have to say, um, and I asked the worship team if they'd come up at this time. Jody's a public speaker of great renown. <laughs> she told me, I don't know if I really want to do this. So, you know, be nice. Don't throw tomatoes or anything. Okay. No, I, I've asked Jody to do this because um, what I think is really interesting is your experience of what God did through you here. And I heard about this, so I thought, oh, I want to ask Jody if she'd be willing, and you are willing, so thank you. Um, came out of prayer, but it came out of even on your own personal needs. So I just thought maybe you could share with us your story. Well, Kevin kind of stole my punchline because I was going to ask if I could get that guy's phone number, but you blew it. So (laughs) anyway, so last year or so, I was just feeling lonely. Um, Just I'm a homeschool mom, so we're not really connected in our community through the school and stuff. 
And I started noticing, even as our neighborhood, we, I just started noticing people were really isolated, just garage doors up, garage doors down. We've been out in Otsego now five and a half years. And you said in a message a couple um, sermons ago just how when you start to feel isolated, you start doing it yourself. And I started feeling myself doing that. I was starting to isolate myself, closing the garage door when I got home. And I did just that. I got on my knees and I said, God, I just need real friendships. I need real relationships, just authentic people in my community that I can be friends with. And so I started asking him how I can have women to my table and all the things that held me back in the past, the not-so-perfect house, the not-so-clean house. I mean, come on, I have three kids there all the time. So all those things held me back. I just said... I need to do something different. Um, I remember when we first moved in, I had a conversation with Jill Dijewski, and she told me, Jody, if you want to connect, you have to do it. And I didn't really understand that at the time, because I thought, these are going to be all young moms, all same stage of life. It's going to be great. We're going to be all friends forever. Um, but it really wasn't that way. And so um, a few months ago, I just thought, you know, I'm going to just throw this out there. And so I uh, recently hold about, heard about a book called Uninvited, was completely unrelated to this message. Yeah, but I didn't even know that. Yeah, so so you were reading a book about invitation. Yep, called Uninvited. Could it be God? Anyway. Hmm, interesting. Uh, so I threw it out on our neighborhood Facebook page. I just said, I'm thinking about doing a book Bible study. Is anyone interested? And with, I thought three, four people, which, hey, that would be great. Three or four new friends. So is were you afraid great. when you even sent that? Kind of, because I don't have any idea what what yeah. people in my neighborhood would think of that. And, and, but honestly, I didn't really care. And I threw it out there, and in 24 <laughs> That's hours... That's a really good thing when it comes to inviting. Ah, who cares? I didn't. <laughs> so I had 26, well, 25 yeses within 24 hours. 25 yeses. To a um, Bible study. To a Bible study. Yeah. Um, uh, so only I knew about four of them, and two of those actually didn't even show up. So these were mostly women I never met. Um, the book is called Uninvited by Lisa Turkhurst. So and um, so the day of the first meeting came, and I thought, oh, you know, I probably need to remind. So I sent out a, a reminder, and I had another uh, lady just say, I just saw this. Can I still come? So so I said, absolutely, and she came. So that first night, I had about 26 ladies in my truly not-so-amazing, not-so-clean basement. Literally, I pulled out all the furniture, and we sat in a big circle. Um, so did you make sure Jamie cleaned the house? No, but Jamie did have to monitor children upstairs. <laughs> And I just shared with the ladies why I did it, and tears just started flowing, probably right now too. Um, just people feeling the same way, just lonely and uninvited. Just every, I mean, I, there was people that had been in my neighborhood for five years as long as me, and I didn't know them. And I even had one lady said, I don't even know how to do this. You guys are saying things that I don't even understand, but I know I need to be here. And I just said, thank you, God. So that night ended on my knees again, and that time just thankful. Yeah. To tell me about your daughter. She also was <laughs> supposed to be up here, right? right? She'll be here next to us. <laughs> um, so my daughter, she is eight, and she does not understand why... She's a lady, too, so why can't she be in the ladies' Bible study? <laughs> she doesn't understand. Moms don't really want to share too many things when there's an 8-year-old in the room. So we have agreed that she would become the server. So every week she's excited about what she's going to make and what she's going to serve. And she serves the ladies and watches the video, and then she goes upstairs. So 
So it's really That's fun. That's really cool. Um, so we've met now each Monday for five weeks, and I've seen the ladies open up, become vulnerable, and just sharing lives and hurts. And we have prayed through aging parents and struggling teenagers and shared meals for babies and just healing hurts. And it's just been truly beautiful. And we even have, I even met two homeschool moms in my neighborhood that I didn't know were there. So, so my prayer is that this is just the beginning, that um, God just uses this to change the way our neighborhood lives and loves each other and loves together. And we're already planning our next book. So I just want to leave you with the enemy wants us to feel rejected, less than, left out, and lonely. But God says, I'm not set aside. I'm set apart. Yeah. Amen. Thank you. I'm going to ask you to stand. Let's stand together if you would. Um, I just got to say, I just, I just, I love the fact that you took something going on in your heart and you went to God and said, God, what do you want me to do about this? And, uh, and it's so neat how God has been faithful in responding in that. And, and I just believe that's what he wants each of us to do. Um, I think as a church... We're living in an age that forget about trying to convince someone about a message right now. You're going to say, well, wait, 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 wait. I, I mean that. Become the kind of person that invites them into a relationship as you pursue Jesus. I didn't say you don't pursue, you pursue Jesus with all your heart and talk about Jesus in those natural ways. People are looking for community. I think it's pretty evident. And all the stuff you read today is talking about that. And people are getting sick and tired of people fighting and yelling and screaming. We need to learn how to say, God, what does it mean for us to move into this time? What does it mean for me to be an invitational person? Because you give me this incredible invite to know you. Let's, let's sing together.